Hey folks, you know what? A small regret is slouching in the dentist chair thinking I should have brushed and flossed better. A big health regret is listening to your doctor and thinking I should have paid attention to nutrition when I was younger. I have that regret a lot. Better health today and when it matters most is why I take Field of Greens. Field of Greens is unlike any fruit and vegetable or green product. Field of Greens isn't watered down extracts. Field of Greens is an organic superfood. It's whole fruits and vegetables. Each fruit and vegetable was selected by doctors to support vital body functions like heart, liver, kidneys, metabolism, and of course, your immune system. And only Field of Greens is backed by a better health promise. At your next checkup, your doctor will notice your improved health or you're gonna get your money back. Don't look back and say, I should have paid attention to nutrition when I was younger. Field of Greens is a key to better health today, right now, and when it matters most. Let's get you started with 15% off and free shipping. All you got to do is visit fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS at checkout. That's promo code JUSTNEWS at fieldofgreens.com. Hello, America, and welcome to a new edition of John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Just the News. Yes, it's Friday. It's not our normal day, but today we decided we needed to have a special podcast with some special guests. Why? Because we've had some amazing reporters covering the Democratic National Convention the last four or five days in Milwaukee and, of course, the virtual convention. And uh, they broke a lot of stories that other news organizations didn't have. And I thought it was worth our while to bring them in and explain these stories, what, what insights they had what they learned from the speeches, what they didn't learn from the speeches, what lies ahead for the Republican National Convention next week. So that's why we're rolling up a special podcast today, and uh, we're going to kick it right off, get get started right away. I have my great colleague, Nick Ballacy, our congressional correspondent at Just the News. He did some amazing news uh, and some original reporting all week long. You probably saw his byline. You probably appreciated his stories. Nick, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, John. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you. Listen, you, you did some great reporting, but I think of all the stories you broke in the last week, the one that really sticks with me and is still trending many, many hours later is the story about the illegal immigrant whom the Democrats put on stage Wednesday night to suggest that she was a victim of Donald Trump's cold, hard immigration policies. But you did some digging. You pulled up her ICE records, her uh, immigration customs enforcement records, and you found out that her problems actually didn't start with Donald Trump. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what you learned? That's right, John. They told her story during the Democratic National Convention through the eyes of her daughter. It was a letter written to Donald Trump where uh, the daughter saying, you know, you deported my mother. And so when she, they were telling that story and it was center stage during the DNC, I decided to uh, dig into it, like you said, and found out that in 1998, uh, she was deported after trying to enter the country illegally. And then after that, uh, she apparently All right, let me stop you there. Hang on. Let me stop you there. Who was president in 1998? Bill Clinton. And Bill Clinton even spoke at the Democratic convention, didn't he? Right. He spoke at the convention. Mm -hmm. And then after that, she tried to get in again and was not able to enter successfully. She turned back up on ICE's radar in 2013 under President Obama. And she was rearrested 
in 2013. And then what happens when you're rearrested, according to ICE, is you get a reinstatement for removal because you were already deported once, right. which is an issue, an ongoing issue on the border where people who are deported once can somehow get back in, sometimes undetected. So she was not detected. ICE does not know how she got back in, but she did. And they put the reinstatement for removal on her case. But she was able to, under the Obama administration, get some extensions. It's a, a stay on the removal. It's right. not. It's just like a, a delay. But eventually, the third stay in removal that she had applied for uh, approval did not get approved in 2017, and she was ultimately uh, left. Uh, she ultimately left the country uh, in uh, 2018 on a commercial flight, which. Uh, you can when there's an order for deportation, you can use a commercial flight or sometimes there's cases where ICE has to actually get involved Forcibly and do the removal it. themselves. Right. Yeah, using a government plane. Yeah. So uh, the inference that everybody took from this um, very compelling video. Listen, it was a great video. It was made for television. It was well done. Uh, the, this young girl reading a letter to President Trump saying, you took my mom away. And listen, the, the, the mom has a compelling story. The daughter and mom, uh, their father and their husband is a U.S. Marine, someone that served in our uniform and protected our country. So it's a compelling case, but they left out some really valuable information. The three times that she was apprehended, twice under Bill Clinton and once under Barack Obama, occurred under Democratic presidents. They sort of edited or skirted over that, uh, and they tried to lay this all at President Trump's feet. And I think that's why it's so good to have reporters like you, Nick, who uh, go in and dig in the facts and find out the whole story, not the part of the story that folks like to manipulate for, for politics. Uh, what's the reaction been to the story? It looks like on social media, it's been overwhelming. A lot of people are talking about it and retweeting it. But what's a shame is there's going to be a lot of people that don't see that. You know, they see the emotional story on the uh, at the convention and they don't see the details or they don't bother to look up the details. Right. And then they're, they're left with the impression that uh, this will all happen under Trump and that this there's no extra details to these cases. I mean, a lot of these cases with immigration, they're not just clear cut. I mean, there's a lot of details that you need to consider. Uh, there's a lot. Immigration law is very complex, and you need you know reporters to dig into the specifics, like we're doing at Just the News. And hopefully, more and more people uh, click on this story and other stories like it uh, on our website to learn that there's so many more details involving immigration and other hot button issues that you don't get in the day to day horse race coverage of who's voting for what. Who's saying what about a bill? There's so much more to it than that. Yeah, that's so true. And, and I think uh, giving people the whole picture, letting them make up their own mind. I mean, listen, this has compelling elements on both sides, right? She's married to a Marine. We, we greatly appreciate his service. And at the same point, she's a, uh, on multiple times sought to violate the law by entering this country illegally. And the times that she was caught was not under Donald Trump. It was under Barack Obama and Bill Clinton. And it shows you how crafty politics can be that we can make someone with that sort of complex story seem so simple and so one-sided. And uh, I really appreciated your reporting. I know our readers did, and you can see it in the numbers of people who've been clicking on that story, sharing that story. So, Nick, good job, and we're, we're so proud of all the work you do. You, you seem to come up almost every day with a great interview, uh, a great uh, scoop, and uh, we're grateful for that. You you had a chance to cover uh, most of the big speeches the last few days, your bylines, and almost all of the big stories about the convention. What was your takeaway? First of all, 
at the convention at large. What was your uh, over under on the Democrats performance this week? There was a lot to cover, a lot of action. I think when you look at the convention, it told a lot about Biden's story, his history, his family, his 50 year career in the Senate uh, as a public servant. And then, of course, as vice president. But you again, the details, he didn't really get into specifics, John. I mean, during the a speech when he accepted the nomination formally, he doesn't talk about exactly what's he going to do with the Trump tax cuts. Is he going to repeal the entire bill? Does he want to get Congress? I mean, he can't do it. But does he going to is he going to lead Congress to repeal the entire Trump tax cuts? Or I mean, they were across the board cuts. They weren't right. just corporate tax cuts. Uh, there were individual tax cuts in every bracket. They changed the brackets, in fact. So. Is he going to change them back to what? When? I mean, he doesn't really get into uh, at what point was the tax cut or the tax code something that Biden supports. Is he going to create something new? So we were left with a lot of questions. And he's, you know, with the with the pandemic, we haven't had much access to him. Trump's at the White House doing press conferences all the time, taking questions from reporters. Biden hasn't been able been able to really give us all these specifics on these questions about his plans and and what he wants to take us back to or what he wants to on tax policy and other issues or what he wants to create in terms of of new policies. And I I did have that have that story up about Solyndra. People forget about Solyndra. That's right. he, He talks about clean energy and he's going to do all this on subsidies and he's going to. Help, help lead us to a zero carbon emissions future by 2050. But when, when he had a chance to have a success with Solyndra, they gave the government gave him over $500 million and later they went bankrupt. Yeah. Uh, so and he, he announced that that uh, guaranteed loan. So that's right. Th- these are things he should be pressed on. It's fair. It's accurate. Just mm-hmm. give him the history and ask him the question. Say, you did this, this, and this. Why are you going to do something different in the future? What What's going to be different now? Uh, and uh, we haven't really had that chance with Biden very, very much because of the pandemic. And and he's not really doing many in-person events for media. Now, we're going to bring uh, um, one of our uh, joint colleagues in in a little bit, uh, Daniel Payne, who has an important story but, uh, that goes to this issue of clean energy. So Solyndra was, I think, the poster child of the mismanagement of the early um, green energy program that Obama, Biden, and Clinton created uh, uh, during the stimulus uh, from the 2008-2009 financial recovery. And, of course, Solyndra went belly up. Americans didn't get very much or anything for that $500 million, And it sort of became symbolic of two things. It was Barack Obama and Joe Biden competent? And two, uh, were a lot of these uh, energy giveaways to friends and people who were cashing in as opposed to projects that would really make a more reliable, sustainable, uh, uh, low-carbon uh, energy grid. But uh, in a few seconds, we're going to talk about uh, this with Daniel Payne, but California sort of is the ground zero of clean energy, right? They went hard in on solar there and uh, wind. And during this very hot summer that California's endured, they haven't been able to keep up with electric supply, and uh, they've not been able, the reason, according to the experts, the utilities themselves say, we never really figured out how to integrate solar and wind into this grid. So there's a lasting legacy, not only of Solyndra, uh, but uh, if we're going to create a clean energy economy, do we really want to look like a third world country where there are rolling blackouts for many hours a day in parts of California? Because that's what just happened a couple of weeks ago. 
And we're going to hear, I think, more and more from Biden about the role he had in the auto bailout and saving the 1.5 million jobs. And that's going to help him in Michigan specifically. But the part that we don't hear about the Recovery Act, I tweeted it out during the actual convention, was that uh, uh, during the auto, auto bailout specifically, uh, the government lost $11 billion on yeah. the auto bail in the end. So yeah. it did save a lot of jobs, but the government in the end lost money. And then when you look at the Recovery Act, he, he managed the Recovery Act, Biden. He talks about that all the time. But, I mean, reporters should go back to the Recovery Act and do some digging into that because there was a lot of issues with how that was handled. You remember, John, when, when Obama joked those projects weren't as shovel-ready as we thought they were. Right. So yeah. Biden was in, in charge of all of that. That's one so. of the most important things, which is he's been in basically in office for 48 years. And so when you make the argument that he made last night that, trust me, I'm going to radically change this country, get us out of the dark times, the answer is, well, why didn't you do it in the 48 years before? And I think you'll hear that sort of counter argument from the Republicans over the next um the next, I agree. Uh, a few decades. Last question. It seemed to me in his speech last night that it was heavy and I thought very effectively heavy on his personal story, how he's overcome, uh, you know, very tra- big tragedies, life losses, wife and mm-hmm. a child in a car accident, lost his uh, eldest son, Bo, uh, to cancer a few years ago. So he weaved in a lot of the personal. I'm a nice guy. I've been through adversity and I've been able to come through it. But he was short, as you said, on policy details. And it seemed that he completely focused on the pandemic as his primary line of attack against Trump. But uh, the violence in the streets, these riots, and also just the Chicago, New York, violent crime waves in China, which seemed to show up in the polls is very important, didn't hear much. Did I miss something or was that sort of void? Was that a sort of void in his speech last night? No, you're right, John. I mean, we haven't heard much from any of the Democratic leaders, specifically on the violence. Here and there, you'll hear some, like Congressional Black Caucus Chair Bass. She said, look, I don't condone violence, but we should respect the the peaceful protesters and their call for racial equality and racial justice. But like when when all this was in action and happening right after the death of, of Floyd, you didn't hear really anything from Pelosi, Schumer, all the Democratic leaders. They weren't, you know, making special speeches and con- condemning what was going on. So, no, uh, we didn't really hear that from Biden. Uh, there, there were other things that he talked about uh, when it came to uh, not just the uh, clean energy future that he wants to put forth, but all kinds of other uh, topics with. I mean, he talked about the sacrifice. He understands sacrifice because of the war. But there's so much uh, when it comes to the uh, Recovery Act that we we need to continue to dig into when he managed that. And he was not very uh, specific on plenty of other policies that he wants to put forth. I mean, for example, around police reform. Uh, he didn't really get into the specifics of what exactly he would do different on police reform than, than what uh, we've seen so far uh, yeah. from from the uh, Democrats. Uh, we've done stories on how they want to ban, you know, chokeholds uh, right. uh, in police departments. But uh, that's a local issue. The federal government actually didn't have a, a chokehold ban in the bill that they uh, put forth uh, in Congress. Uh, so there's there's so much more uh, to dig into with with Biden. Uh, last question: As we as we head into next week's Republican National Convention, do you expect law and order, China, something that Biden didn't hardly talk about at all, 
law and order in China? Are those going to become more, far more front and center uh, in the in the next week? I think so. Biden didn't really say anything about China, uh, whether he would be tough on China or not. But, uh, Trump's been talking about China for decades and decades and warning about them in so many areas. Biden didn't really talk about China in the nomination address. We didn't hear about China really at all during the entire Democratic uh, convention. And so with the pandemic, too, John, I mean, with with Biden, what would he exactly have done differently in the early stages? Uh, we don't we don't really know. He yeah. hasn't really said he talks about from March and April on. Right. He doesn't really talk about in January or February when he was saying things, Pelosi, him uh, and other leaders were saying things to Trump about banning the flights uh, right. going to China. Xenophobia. What, yeah, xenophobia. xenophobia. What yeah. would he have done differently? Do, do, do people honestly think if Trump stood up and said, hey, we're going to shut down the entire country in late February, would everybody have said, oh, great, sounds good? I don't know. I don't yeah, know if that would have worked. We're going to have I a mean, big story on that on uh, tomorrow, Saturday, uh, digging into it was very noticeable. I think you picked up on something, Nick, that's really important. He intentionally mentioned his entrance into the pandemic in March. He said, in March, I had a plan, which means in January and February, when this thing was spreading and uh, he didn't have a plan, he intentionally avoided that. What he had was a lot of rhetoric saying Trump was bad at it and he's xenophobic for closing down the uh, flights from China. Uh, I think that was a, a sign that he knows that he's got some vulnerabilities in January and February. So he picked a delimiter. I like my record for March forward. Well, guess what? When you're president, you got to start dealing with it in January. And uh, I, I thought you picked up on something that was very carefully crafted in the speech that I bet we hear a lot more about in the next few weeks. Yeah, I think I mean, I was on Capitol Hill uh, in February asking members if they were going to shut down all incoming flights into the country right, from, right. from just China, from other countries. And I mean, I was getting looks from lawmakers like, really, you think that's actually necessary right now? But looking back in retrospect, that's pretty much what the Democrats are saying when they criticize Trump in yeah. the early stages. They're basically saying we should have taken more action. Well, what action would you have taken? And if if Trump had done that, would people have rallied around him and said, OK, great. Sounds sounds good. I don't I mean, we all we don't know. We don't know. But uh, I think yes, that is. I a, think he he's, a, he's leaving out the early stages. Yeah, I think that was by design. Yeah, there's no doubt that that was carefully picked uh, in the speech. I, it really struck my ears the moment that he said it, uh, because obviously the crisis started in January. So, well, Nick, I think people can tell on this podcast why we're so lucky to have you at Justin News. I enjoy your work well, every you, day. You, you do such great interviews on video, and uh, we look forward to having you back next week. We'll probably talk about the Republican National Convention next week. So be be ready to come on back. I know our listeners will love it. That's great. Looking forward to it. Thanks so much for having me. All right, folks, we're going to go to a quick commercial break. When we come back, one of Nick and my's uh, uh, colleagues, uh, Daniel Payne, is going to join us. He's got a great story on renewable energy and many other interesting things this week that he reported on. We're going to toss it to him in a few seconds right after these commercial messages. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. 
Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders, while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. Hey, a lot of times I, I get asked, what can we do to help Justin News, John Solomon Reports, keep doing the type of reporting and journalism we do? One quick answer is you can support our sponsors, our advertisers, many ways to do that. Check out their great services. Check out the great products. We also created a store for where many of our advertisers and sponsors have products. It's called the JTNShop.com. Go check it out. All sorts of fun things. Everything from lobster and um, crab legs you can have over the Labor Day holiday to uh, my favorite device, the Clean Phone Pro where you can get the germs off your phone every morning before you go to work or go out in the yard. Uh, a lot of great products and a portion of the proceeds of everything you buy there goes to support the great journalism of people like my next guest, Daniel Payne, uh, one of our great reporters at Just the News. Daniel, welcome to the show. John, thanks for having me. Good to be here. It's a pleasure to have you. Uh, you've had some great journalism time in, time out. Almost every day I wake up and I see a great story by you, but I had a favorite one this morning because we heard a lot over the last four days about how Joe Biden and the Democrats are going to build that clean energy economy that Barack Obama said he was going to build a decade ago. And California is sort of the poster child. It was ground zero for uh, clean energy integration into the grid, that we were going to get rid of fossil fuels and get rid of natural gas, get rid of nuclear, uh, because environmentalists and the Democratic Party don't like those. And we were going to build this solar wind dependent grid. And you gave us a great reality check this morning, telling us what's really been going on during a very hot, uh, long summer in California. Bring us up to speed about how that clean energy grid in California has been faring. Yeah. So, you know, in, in California, like, like a lot of parts of the United States this summer, uh, experienced a, a, a pretty brutal heat wave. And it's, in fact, kind of still in the in the midst of it. Um, and, and unsurprisingly, uh, because of that heat wave, a lot of people have been using a lot more air conditioning there. And experts have speculated that that's been compounded in no small part by the fact that uh, so many people are, are at home now due to COVID lockdowns COVID, and remote yeah. working, um, which means that you just have a lot more air conditioning going in a lot more units than you would if a lot more people were in you know offices and all going off the same system. So the result has been just a huge uptick in demand of electricity, a huge uptick in usage. And that resulted last week in some rolling blackouts, which is uh, which, uh, you know, sometimes power providers have to implement when the grid is just overloaded and they just can't handle the demand. So there was a lot of finger pointing about, uh, you know, why this happened, uh, you know, uh, why this was the first blackout, uh, the first rolling blackout of that kind in California, I think almost 20 years, I believe 2000, 2001 was the last time something like this happened. And one thing that came up and that was credibly advanced was California's really heavy dependence now on renewable energy, specifically solar and to a lesser extent wind. There were uh, industry experts pointing out with compelling evidence that uh, the fact that California relies so much on that kind of energy means that its energy grid is nowhere near as capable as it once was of handling these huge surges in demand. And, and the, the troubling part is that this may indeed happen again in the near future, uh, uh, maybe in the next even week or two, just because yeah. of uh, the way the grid is structured. 
there's some pre- uh, predictions about next week being a difficult week. So let's let's uh, break this down a little bit about all the elements that created this perfect storm. Uh, first off, uh, solar energy is great when the sun's out, but come four, five, six, seven o'clock at night when the sun goes down, that feed-in energy supply. Uh, can't add any more to the grid. So that that takes a big equation, uh, energy uh, source out of the equation. In the old days, they would turn to nuclear and to gas-powered and coal-powered plants. But California has very quickly pulled a lot of those nat gas, nuclear, and coal power plants out of the grid, right? Right. And California has has made it a, a distinct priority to move away from that type of historically pretty reliable fossil fuel energy. Uh, they have set an ambitious benchmark of, I think, 50% of their in-state yeah. energy to come from renewables by 2025, and right. then 100% to come from renewables by 2050. And the result is that over the past uh, you know, 10 or 12 or 15 years, you have seen more natural gas plants closing, more coal plants closing, more nuclear power plants closing. And the result has been that, uh, you know, when when the the renewable grid is overtaxed, as it was in the last few weeks, you don't have that backup of 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 more uh, sort of dependable at this time fossil fuel energy. So so not only, uh, like you said, do, do renewables like solar uh, have the, the defects of, say, the sun going down, which is a big issue. But when that happens, uh California is discovering that it now doesn't have the capacity to to make up for those gaps that it once did. Right. And, you know, a lot of people say, oh, these are Republicans and climate deniers saying this. This is actually the utility experts in California saying, listen, we just haven't replaced the lost um, supply. And uh, and that's what's happening in the grid at six, seven, eight o'clock at night. We don't have enough feed in to make up when the sun goes down or when the wind drops down. Uh, it's an interesting challenge, and it seems if, if we're going to go towards this clean economy, green, green economy, which you know I think even a, a growing number of Republicans would like to see. Matt Gates has become a big voice on climate change in the Republican Party. I think the next generation of Republicans are going to talk more about clean energy and, and climate change than the past generation and current generation does. It seems to me that there's an engineering and a supply uh, logistics uh, puzzle that has to be solved by those who are the next generation of utility leaders, energy regulators. Do you are there any experiences or any uh, projects, uh, experiments going on to try to address the sort of very blatant gaps that this uh, large heat wave in California exposed in the last couple of weeks? You know, I, I think really what what it is is just a matter of, of constant innovation, right? Which uh, which uh, you know producers are, are always engaged in. I mean, when you think about uh, the skepticism that that uh, the first automobiles were greeted with, uh, you know, around the turn of the century, that they were you know noisy and clunky and inefficient and uh, right. you know who would want to ride in one of those than than rather ride in a horseless you know a horse carriage um, right. and, and that was a you know sort of a legitimate criticism back then but eventually of course uh, you know we can't imagine living without automobiles and without fossil fuels now um, I, I think that um, you know the 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 thing that's going to save these energy grids and this this growing sort of interest in fossil fuel yes is just it's just sort of the uh, the inevitable uh, technical 
uh, refinement that comes with new technologies. But, um, you know, the, the, so the danger seemingly is, is exemplified by California is relying too heavily on these young technologies at the front end before you can really get a hold on them. And I think that my guess would be that California's case here is going to serve as a warning to other states to, to not proceed too heavily with these sorts of things uh, before, before you know, the, the technology can be fully harnessed. Yeah, there's a fine line between being on the leading edge, which is a lot of fun, and being on the bleeding edge where you often learn the hardest uh, lessons from, uh, from uh, experimentation. And I think California's right in between that leading, bleeding edge right now in this, this area. All right, so uh, Daniel, you had a, a story out of Virginia that I think says a lot about uh, a national issue that we're all going to face. It didn't come up much at the Democratic Convention. It's going to come up relentlessly next week, and that is – uh, violence, uh, the struggle between uh, racial justice and police enforcement, all the issues that the George Floyd killing uh, brought to the surface again in America. They've surfaced several times over the last year with Ferguson and uh, many other uh, controversial police killings that, that have occurred. Uh, and that is uh, a struggle over what's the right balance between police force and and improving racial relations in the in between the police department and community but uh, Virginia the parole board did something pretty shocking in the last few weeks they got called on it they tried to hide it but they got called on it tell us the story of how Virginia released a uh, a really brutal cop killer this summer and did so while violating its own own laws, its own parole laws. Tell us what you found about that that very uh, interesting story. Yeah, it was it was it was pretty pretty incredible. Once the facts were finally revealed, the story begins back in 1979 um, when a young man named Vincent Martin was convicted of shooting and killing a patrol officer. Um, uh, this young man had allegedly uh, robbed a 7-Eleven beforehand, and uh, during a, a unrelated traffic stop shortly thereafter. Uh, uh, was shot and killed this police officer who pulled him over. So, you know, he, he, he served uh, all the time between then and now. And then the Virginia Parole Board earlier this year decided that he should, he should be released. He had been up for annual parole for several decades at this point and had been turned down every year. Um, uh, but this year they, they decided that he was ready to go out. And so they did release him in June. Um, and, when that release happened, uh, when when the parole board announced this release, he's he's you know kind of a, a notorious criminal in Virginia's history. So there was there was some interest in in whether or not he was going to be released. Um, there were these rumors flying around, these accusations that that the parole board hadn't followed the proper protocol uh, when when going through the process to to parole this man. Um, and eventually, the uh, state inspector general undertook a report, uh, and the parole board released this criminal in the meantime, in the midst of that report. And the state inspector general eventually came out with his report late last month. It was pretty heavily redacted, but some Republican uh, General Assembly members managed to get the unredacted version published and released. And what it showed was that the parole board had violated several really key uh, uh, parts of, of its parole process, including uh, allowing family members adequate input when, uh, when uh, you know, a, a parole uh, decision is being considered. Um, it turned out that they, they had not made, uh, you know, due diligence to, to contact uh, the family members. It turns out they hadn't even been informing family members of the annual parole hearings that this man had been receiving. Wow. Yeah, that was... Um, well, the victim couldn't weigh in on the decision. 
Right, right. And that's that's considered a, a really critical uh, part of the whole process because, uh, you know, Virginia treats victims as both um, uh, uh, the person who's been, um, you know, assaulted by the criminal and also those who who have been, you know, indirectly impacted like family members. So uh, the family members said that, yeah, they, they didn't get this uh, a um, an alleged victim of of this man who was reportedly shot by him prior to his imprisonment uh was also denied the chance to speak at the hearing um they they did not allow him to speak even though internal policies say that uh that anybody who wants to speak against this uh you know a hearing uh, should be allowed to do so um they also did not inform the local commonwealth's attorney uh at least a month ahead of the release of the prisoner as they are required to do so you not only found that they 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 violated all these policies, which are which you know are, are pretty important to to ensuring that uh, you know the, the process is done legitimately, but they really struggled pretty mightily to cover it up, and in the end, it came out, and um, and and you can see what happened there. It's uh it's pretty remarkable because there's really two dynamics going on. One is a public safety notification. We want the local prosecutor to know this guy might be back on the street. Right. And they, I think they did that the day of the release or the day of the order of parole right. uh, violated the law. But they also seem to be censoring those who might uh, uh, criticize this. And I think this is part of a broader issue we've seen in some Democratic administrations that the Northam Parole Board uh, was appointed either by Ralph Northam, the current Democratic governor, or Terry McAuliffe, the just prior Democratic governor, but uh, not allowing the the victims of this very consequential crime. And uh, this wasn't just a random police shooting where, you know, cops and a, and a bad guy got in a shootout for a second. Uh, when this officer was first wounded in a shootout, describe what this um, felon was ultimately convicted of doing. This, this wasn't a accidental shooting, was it? No, uh, uh, the, the way it was described in court and, and the, the, the accusations under which this man was eventually convict, convicted said that he first shot and wounded this, this patrol officer, uh, Michael Connors, and then got out of the car and then stood over him and shot him several times in the head. Um, it, it, was, it was a pretty shocking crime for, for Richmond. You know, uh, uh, there was a time when when uh, Richmond was considered the murder, ca- murder capital of the country, I think. Right. But uh, but but that sort of uh, uh, brutal crime is is unique even even for, for this city. So it was, it was more than a murder. Shocking. It's an execution. I right. mean, I think I saw in the, the historical documents, they basically called it an execution right. of an officer, not a shooting. Um, so that man is now free not to be gotten back. And I think uh, these are the sort of anecdotes next week when President Trump um, has his opportunity to speak from the podium. Uh, we didn't hear a lot about violence on the streets, the problems in Chicago, New York, Portland, uh, America, Blaze. But I suspect you're looking for next week with this Republican convention for the dialogue to change from Joe Biden's a nice guy to the Democrats around Joe Biden uh, haven't done a good job on keeping safety. They're letting out bad people. They're not punishing bad people. Is that the pivot you expect in the political discussion over the next uh, three to four days as the Trump Republican convention uh, takes over from the Democratic convention? I wouldn't be surprised uh, because it's it's definitely something that's on the minds of, of, of so many Americans across the country um, that that, you know, we at these conventions, we have a lot of haymaking and a lot of, uh, you know, sort of political back and forth. But, you know, the 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 feelings on the ground for for regular Americans and cities and, and you know, counties across the country is, you know, is it safe to be 
where we live? Uh, you know, can we go outside without fear of, of, of being harmed in some way? Um, right. you know, I, I think that, that, uh, I think there is going to be, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of issue made over the fact that a lot of the, you know, processes that we are supposed to have for ensuring safe communities, safe cities and safe streets have seemed to have broken down uh, in recent months and years. The Virginia Parole Board instance is a, is a, is a prime example of that. Um, you know, uh, uh, prosecuting criminals in Chicago and in New York and in Los Angeles. Um, that's another area that seems to have kind of uh, uh, broken down where, where authorities charged with public safety in some cases seem to have abdicated that responsibility. So uh, I, I think that that's going to be a, a very heavy message um, at the Republican convention and that um, you're, you're going to see, you're going to see a lot of that push just because it is on the minds of so many people in this country. Yeah. I'm old enough to remember the um, Willie Horton ad back in 1988 that really changed the election between George H.W. Bush, who was struggling at that time, and Michael Dukakis, who seemed to be the media favorite. But once the Willie Horton ad came out accusing uh, Michael Dukakis of furloughing a prisoner who then went and committed a murder. Boy, that election turned quickly. And I suspect stories like the one you just covered in um, Virginia may, may come back as a political attack ads or part of the dialogue. I think the president yesterday sort of gave us a little preview might be coming because during his speech, he said, you see all that violence in Portland? It's coming to a community near you. It's a horror movie on its way. If you elect the Democrats in the fall, I think that's going to be one of the, the lines we're going to hear over and over coming to a community near you soon. Uh, on this front, we've got some breaking news. It literally happened while we're sitting here talking to Daniel Payne. Uh, the man, the uh, fugitive they were looking for in Portland, Oregon, who was involved in that brutal beating of a driver. Yes. He has been apprehended just a few minutes ago. That uh, hot off the presses from Just the News and and uh, and the news services. Uh, we'll be keeping an eye on that case because Portland is still ablaze and uh, there is not uh, been peace yet in Portland. Uh, now almost going on two, two and a half months of uh, constant civil unrest and rioting. So big arrest there today. We'll see where that leads. Folks, uh, you just got to hear Daniel. Now you know why you're so lucky to uh, to have, we were so lucky to have him at Just the News. He's just an honest uh, fact broker. He comes up with really interesting stories that often our other colleagues in the news media have missed, whether it's on the pandemic, on law enforcement, on schools, on free speech, on religious freedom. Uh, if you haven't, uh, follow him on Just the News, follow him on social media. Uh, Daniel is absolutely a, a sensational neutral fact-based reporter, and we're so lucky to have you. If you want to bookmark Daniel's author page, you just search on his name or click on the byline the first time you see a story, you can see his author page. Uh, he really, truly does some remarkable uh, reporting every day. Uh, religious you. freedom, the unusual things going on in education today. Uh, you're, you're just a joy to work with, Daniel. I want to thank you for all your great work, and we'll have you back in the show soon. John, thank you for having me. I'm a pleasure to work with you too, and I'm glad to be here. All right, folks, we're going to go to a quick commercial break. When we come back, we're going to finish up the day with Christine Dolan. Christine Dolan has been around as long as I have. We've covered almost every convention, I think, since 84 or 88. And we're going to try to put into perspective quickly what the uh, Democratic convention that just wrapped up, where it rates in history and where the Trump convention upcoming next week does. But first, we got to go pay the bills. Let's go to our quick commercial break and we'll be right back. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. 
Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. All right, folks, welcome back for the final segment today. And for that segment, I've saved it for a very special reporter. Christine Dolan has been covering conventions all the way back to Ronald Reagan and Jimmy Carter in 1980. Uh, She's got me beat by a few years. My first uh, political convention was in 88 uh, with Bush and Dukakis. But uh, Christine, welcome to the show. Thanks, John. I'm glad to be here because it's been a different type of convention, certainly. It sure was. It was hard for me, and I think it's going to be hard for me again next week, not to have an audience. You're just so used to I've been programmed for 30 years. That, you know, There's going to be an audience. There's going to be cheering. And I actually think that Joe Biden, uh, my impression was Joe Biden adapted his speech exactly for that moment. He did a speech that was intimate, no applause lines intended. It was really about delivering his personal story. And I'm a nice guy and Donald Trump's not. I would handle the pandemic much better than he did. Uh, uh, We're going to get out of this darkness. I think that was the word that came up so many times in the convention. And I'm going to lead you to the light. How do you think last night's speech and the, uh, the very adapted Democratic convention uh, went this week? How's it rate in the overall conventions you've watched in the last 30, 40 years? Well, I think, you know, I think it's a, it's a, it's a different time. We all know that. Uh, it was a technical, I think what they, they went for the, from a production point of view, I think that they achieved what they wanted to achieve. But I also looked at it in terms of very negative the first three nights. It was doom and gloom. You know, Donald, uh, Donald Trump is responsible for everything related to COVID, everything related to, you know, the battle on the soul of America, the fear factor, the, you know, I, I didn't, I, that, that didn't seem different than any other Democratic convention because every four years the Democrats bring in the fear factor, whether it's Roe versus Wade or the Supreme Court. But this year it is Donald Trump. There's no doubt about it. And I think that, that they, they put up a defensive message that was out there with uh, basically Valerie Jarrett on, on, um, on MSNBC was telling everybody, if you go after Kamala Harris, if you challenge her then they're going to have a SWAT team coming after you, which is different because that's challenging to journalists. Right. Um, I think that they're wrong about that because I I can say this as a first woman political director of any U.S. network, that she is going to be challenged because she should be challenged about her record. She's a career prosecutor, which makes it very different, especially in this law and order, Black Lives Matter world that we now live in. I think you're right about Biden. I think Biden, he punched it, trying to be optimistic. You know, his we all know his story, uh, but we also know his conflicts of why he dropped out of races and didn't get, he didn't resonate with people. So, you know, the times that he did run for the presidency. Um, so I, th- I think that's going to be interesting to watch. I think that the theme this week with um, suffrage, I expected to see more women. I did too. I was very shocked by that. I yeah. thought that was very interesting. I think that one of the things for the, for this convention behind the scenes, and this is the stuff we don't see on television, but I was you know going in and listening to the caucuses. And once again, the Democrats 
have their conventions have always been about special interest caucuses, whether it's the Native Americans, whether it's the ethnic groups, whether it's the Muslim groups. They had 18 this year. And the difference, I think, of what we might see next week is behind the scenes of the Republican, we'll see issues because usually at Republican conventions, they'll have foreign policy. They'll have economics. It won't. It's not really they will have women. OK, um, but it's not broken down as much by ethnic groups. On right. the Republican side, it's more issues at their convention. So I'm expecting to see that to be. I'm expecting that's a really interesting. Um, that's a really interesting uh, point to make, and I, I didn't think about it. There's so much in the identity politics that ethnicity and, and racial groups were important to the Democrat because of the strategy they pursued the last few years: racial identity, gender identity, um, uh, grievance. Uh, and uh, I think you're right. Next week may be about gun rights, right? It may be about law and order. And so the constituencies are organized by issue, abortion, evangelicals. They're more uh, uh, organized by the issue than by the gender or racial identity of the group. That, that's a fascinating thing I hadn't thought of until you just said it. The Democrats are pushing everybody to vote early, which yeah. I thought was very, very interesting. What do you think is behind in that? all of the caucuses, what do I think is behind that? Yeah, why, why, that why do people need to vote early? John, that's when you and I get down to the fraud, okay? Mm -hmm. um, because if you vote early, then you, you can get a gauge of how many votes that you may need if you want to do something fraudulent. That's what that is all about. Wow. And everybody just needs to know that. There's always that concern about voter fraud. Certainly President Trump and the Republicans have been making that case. They're in the courts. Um, is there any relationship to the vote early and the concern about debate performance between the two candidates? Could that factor into the vote early thing? Or is it really about just knowing what your vote count is and what you need to deliver on election day? Oh, I think it's, I, I think, I think that the debate is, is, Probably more so than the than the voter fraud. I think from from the uh, Democrats' point of view, yeah. I think that a debate um, on issues. Because remember, the Democrats right now are not talking issues; they're really talking personality, yeah. evil, doom, gloom. But when you get down to the issues, the truth is that Donald Trump has done a lot of good things that most people don't understand. Yeah, uh, he gets know, overtaken it, by his personality and his tweets. Correct. That's that's correct. And so I think if they do a report card next week at the Republican convention, I think it brings back down to the issues. I think the, the fear of debates is primary. I'm not saying that, you know, Kamala Harris can't debate. I think she can. I think she knows how to go in as a zinger, sure. as a prosecutor. But at the same time, it's going to be tough for Joe Biden. I mean, every you know, I think it would, we would deny truth as journalists if we didn't really admit it's going to be tough for Joe Biden. Uh, what did you think of his delivery? Was his, his speech, uh, which was heavy on the biography, and as you, I think you rightly point out, it was one of the less substantive issue speeches for an acceptance speech, but I thought it was, uh, you know, uh, had a lot of uh, here is where I who I am and you're voting in a personality. And so I, I think I walked away thinking he he put down to gauntlet that this is a personality contest. Do you want the nice guy or the bad guy, the bad boy? Um, how did, did you think he moved votes last night or did he just simply uh, solidify his base? I'll tell you who I think moved votes last night. Braden Harrington, who's 13, oh, that little 13-year-old yeah. boy. It was I a think great moment, moved, wasn't it? 
I thought I, I was in tears. I thought, God love him. He's he's adorable. Um, yeah, for, for folks who don't know what this is, if you miss this, we've got the story up uh, by Sarah Atkinson on our site. But there was a 13-year-old boy who suffers from a stutter, and he told the story of how Joe Biden pulled him aside uh, during the primaries backstage and showed him how Joe Biden, who also had a speech impediment earlier in life, how he organizes speaking publicly so that he doesn't stutter and that he can say his words clearly. And uh, I thought that was the showstopper last night. And it, it, here's how you could tell as a showstopper. Even Kellyanne Conway, the attack dog for President Trump, she said she was proud of Brayden. I, I thought that was a great moment. And um, you're right. That was a very special moment. And it also yeah. spoke volumes about Joe Biden taking time out for the 13-year-old kid to, to lend a hand. Absolutely. And, and and no one can say that Joe Biden's not compassionate. He is compassionate. His, yeah. his, his life story, it was tragedy, you know, at the age of 29, 30 years of age. And people did come around him and he has come around other people. Um, but that's not, you know, compassion is, yes, you need a leader who is compassionate. At the same time, you need, a, you have to decide. I think this comes down to, and this is why the Democrats, I think, did not get into the issues because even internally they didn't all agree as we, as John That's earlier this point. week when I covered the platform you know they they fought about Medicare for all right. yet at the same time at the end of the day they didn't put Medicare for all in their platform good point they had over 700 people that voted against it even though we couldn't you know confirm all the names right. we know that even members of Congress um, voted against the platform so it's it it's it's not as unified as people think it is when you get into the weeds of it you know and that's why we did that platform analysis yeah, because point. it's just they're not they put out unity they put out we the people as themes on the different nights the overall picture of unity within the democratic party did not come to light when you get down to the weeds yeah, their, their point of unity is singular which is we got to defeat donald trump and get him out of the white house and on the issues they're pretty raucously divided i mean I, aoc not mentioning joe biden's name during her time on state i think shocks and people she had to come back a few hours later and say it wasn't a slide i didn't mean to uh but you know bernie mentioning medicare for all and that he didn't win but everybody likes it um i think that um and then bernie on television i thought one of the more interesting things happened off stage but on television when bernie said uh joe biden is going to be the most uh, progressive liberal president since fdr which was actually a message that joe biden was trying to avoid as he was moving to the center that you know, he was trying to portray kamala and him as or kamala and him as uh, moderates and you know in, in lined with middle America and Bernie was out there saying this is going to be our FDR plus liberal um, uh, well that's that, that's people forget this during the during the primaries even though Kamala dropped out what December before it before getting she was debating on the stage she is for legalization of prostitution I didn't know that. Really? Yes, yes. She wow. is for legalization of prostitution. Hmm. And last summer in D.C., uh, the D.C. Council had put forth a bill. And I can tell you that, you know, anti-trafficking advocates, trafficking victims showed up and wow. they killed it. So, I mean, where's th that's a progressive stand. Well, I suspect we're going to hear a lot about that, right, in the next. Uh, well, listen, listen, her rating in 2019 as a senator, she was rated more liberal than Bernie Sanders, which is hard to do because Bernie's pretty liberal. Um, and we had that and story. And you, you pointed out to me last week when yeah. one of our editorial meetings that was because that she had co-sponsored more more yeah. liberal bills than um, Bernie. Had. Bernie, yeah, no, it's really interesting. Well, mm -hmm. it's, it's going to be an interesting thing. And it, it seemed to me, 
and I think you're, it sounds like you're in agreement that really what they tried to make this about was who's the nicer guy and don't you finally want a nice guy in the White House after four years of that bad boy Donald Trump. Uh, what does Donald Trump do now? You've, you've covered so many conventions. You've known every playbook. You've seen every playbook. What does Donald Trump do? I, I noticed something that was missing from the Democratic convention. No discussion of China. No populist appeal that we're bringing jobs back from China. And very little talk about violence in the city, Chicago, New York. Does Donald Trump bring those to the forefront next week? I think he does bring those to the forefront. And I think what's kind of interesting is somewhere along the line in the behind the scenes of the caucuses, people brought up the fact of, you know, bringing jobs back. And I'm thinking to myself, that is what Donald Trump is doing. So he, and, and this is the mistake of the Democrats. Everything is against Donald Trump. They give him no credit for that which he is doing that even they are calling for at this point in time. That's and I think th I think that's going to be very interesting. I think that, you know, obviously they, they disagree with Donald Trump on the Iran deal. Right. Um, I think I think that in, and I thought it was disingenuous of uh, President Obama to get up there and say that he never expected his successor to agree with his policies. The reason why Donald Trump won is because a lot of people didn't agree with Obama's policies when he was in power. Yeah, that's clearly it. Uh, the swamp or draining the swamp. Well, that was Obama's swamp at the time. So that's um, right. I, I found uh, interesting in the lineup. I mean, we're just starting to get a sense. I assume we're going to see a Christy Nome on stage at the Republican convention. She's a rising star, a woman. Uh, I'm sure Kellyanne Conway. We'll see some women. We'll see some uh, minorities, including a, a couple of African-Americans who are Democrats who've kind of come out for Trump recently. Uh, but I wonder, uh, as we as we go through this um, uh, reintroduction, I suspect they're going to be very heavy on Donald Trump's record, right? You're going to hear all the things that the Democrats tried to diss this week. Donald Trump's going to come back and say, but I did this, this, and this. And what do you think is the question Donald Trump will leave with the American voters when he accepts the nomination next Thursday? Is it, are you better off than you were four years ago? That's going to be a tough one because of COVID right now. But uh, is it, I, I, I have this feeling, and I want to get your take on it, that maybe the question he's going to ask, I already built the economy back to a roar once. I can do it again after the pandemic. Joe Biden couldn't do it in eight years. Where does he go, you think? I think, I think people have to um, stay tuned for learning about his report card for this four years. Because well. I think because of the... Um, the drama that we live in, the different world yeah. we live in in the last six months. Um, you know, think if, John, if we didn't have the pandemic right now, if the Democrats didn't have the pandemic, what would their message have been last night? Yeah. And the nights before that. And I think that, you know, in spite of, in spite of, uh, all of the investigations, all of the uh, accusations, um, the president and the, his administration have moved forward. That's just a fact of life. Yeah. A lot of people don't know about that. I mean, one of the things that one of the stories that, that, you know, that I want to do is on the record, because when people talk about, well, he doesn't have any allies. Well, we have, in fact, been helping other countries behind the scenes with their COVID issues. Yeah, that's right. And a lot of Americans don't understand that. I mean, they they want to blame uh, all the police 
brutality on Donald Trump when, in fact, it's the state legislatures that that design the police trainings That's in right. each state. It's a local I mean, you issue. can't blame him for that, and yeah. you can't blame him for the murders that are in Chicago. Yeah. Those were going on when Rahm Emanuel was mayor. Well, there's another another important point too, which is that really you can't create a national ma- mask mandate. Uh, restrictions are really controlled by the state and local governments. You can advocate for it, but I don't. It's not clear that there could be a law that says everyone has to wear a mask in public. Maybe maybe Joe Biden will try to get that done if he's got a Democrat of Congress. But a lot of the things that happen, the most deaths in America, the most cases, right? New York, by far, by a mile. California, <laughs> uh, you got some blue states that imposed restrictions and they didn't fare any better than anything that Donald Trump proposed. And I think that's one of the things. Is there a risk if, if the pandemic eases? Let's say we get through a wave now and we have a couple of months of pandemic-free normalcy. Uh, is there a risk that uh, Joe Biden stakes so much of this convention on Donald Trump screwed up the pandemic? I think that there's I think that's a very high risk right now yeah. because, um, you know, everybody's saying, well, now with the influenza season coming upon us, you know, there's going to be there's going to be right. double, you know, double numbers and things like that. I'm not so certain about that. I, I think this is really in God's hands. I don't really think that there is an answer from this. Yeah. I think that I think people are smart enough to know I live in Talbot County, Maryland, and I know that the, the city council just voted on or the county council just voted on. You know, you can't wear the shields. Right. With the, you have to wear the masks. Right. All right? right so right. if people people are home enough now that they know that it's ruled by the local or it's ruled by the state. Yeah, that's a big point. I bet you Donald Trump pivots on that and then says the things I could do. Look at my list and he'll throw out. I think we had a list on our site of over 100 executive actions he took, plus mm-hmm. 78 authorizations under the Defense um, Act. And I think that, that that Defense Authorization Act. So I think we're going to hear a lot about that tomorrow, your, uh, next starting you know tomorrow, today even. Uh, there are two things that struck me. Uh, Joe Biden's a Catholic, uh, but it's Cardinal Dolan that'll be opening up the Republican convention. Tim Dolan, probably the most high-profile Catholic leader in America, um, basically the American Pope, if if we're being a little loose with the facts. Uh, Are Catholics going to be focused on next week, uh, even though Joe Biden himself is a Catholic? I, to, as, as, as an Irish Catholic and somebody who does. <laughs> and I'm right alongside you. I'm yeah. Irish Catholic too. Yep. Yeah. And so I, I think it's very interesting where you have Joe Biden as the second Catholic top of the ticket. Right. Um, I think it's very interesting that, um, Cardinal Dolan, who is the, I mean, he is the Pope of America, everybody that's in that office, even when it was John O'Connor. Small P Pope. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I'm small P Pope. Uh, I think that, I think it, it's a very telling, I think it's very ironic that um, they're pushing that Joe is the second Catholic at the top of the ticket, and yet you have the top of the Catholic Church in favor of Donald Trump. And I think think that comparison is very interesting because I think that the— you know, and let's let's be frank about this. Tim Dolan knows Donald Trump. Yeah, of course. <laughs> he so, knows the sinner that Donald Trump probably is. Yes, that's right. That's yes. that's right. He know, yeah. he knows him, and he knows yeah. him as you know, having been up in New York. So right. I think, yeah, I think this is a very telling, and I think people have to understand that um, when oh, President Obama was in office. 
they, <clears throat> they went after the, I think it was the Sisters of Charity. Yeah, right. And they sued them, okay? And so, you know, when people talk about referring back to, do you want Joe Biden to come in? Joe Biden didn't protect the nuns yeah. when he was vice president of the United when States. When you look at the so, electoral math too, right? Uh, Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Ohio, very Catholic states in the middle of the country, all of them, uh, Florida to some degree, although there's a little more of an evangelical vote in Florida. But Catholics are in play in some of these key states. And Kamala Harris hasn't had a really great record of uh, uh, relationship with Catholics. Um, I think that uh, next week you're going to hear a lot more uh, pitches tailored to that very key constituency. Hispanics, one of the growing parts of the electorate, are Catholics. Um, I just have a funny feeling, as you as you pointed out to me yesterday, that that, that could be an issue. Don't forget that when when uh, the Catholic scandal imploded here in the United States 18 years ago, starting right. with Boston, and then it was domino effect, uh, Tim Dolan was sent from Rome to Wisconsin, yeah. and he oversaw that, and he met with the victims yeah, that's in right. Wisconsin and cleaned up after, I think it was, uh, I don't think he was a cardinal, but Bishop Wheatland, we, yeah. who was Archbishop out there. Archbishop Wheatland, so I think yeah, that's he right. Has, he, has, he resonates. I went in to school church. in uh, Marquette in Milwaukee, and I met Archbishop Wheatland, and little did I know then the, the, the scandal that was behind the scenes, but Milwaukee was ground, you know, one of the ground zeros besides Boston, uh, in, in the ongoing clergy abuse case. And I, I suspect that next week will be uh, an interesting overture to the, that very important voting block, um, particularly among Hispanics in the middle in the Midwestern states as well. Yes. Last question, because one of the things that struck me, and it's, it's more because I've just been around so long, is I know Joe Biden is the foreign policy guy, right? He's the guy that actually was added to the Obama ticket because Obama didn't have foreign policy credentials. He's the guy that had the great Senate, Senate foreign relations hearings that I remember covering as an AP reporter. What really struck me last night, and quite frankly, all four days, was how little discussion there was of foreign policy at the Democratic Convention. It was Donald Trump's mean, bad, mishandled the pandemic, but very little foreign policy vision for a guy whose most of his career was built on some pretty interesting foreign policy gambits and, and hearings. Uh, what happens with Donald Trump? Does the Middle East peace agreement, this historic deal between UAE and Israel, does China? Uh, are we going to hear a lot more foreign policy next week? I think we're going to hear a lot more foreign policy. I think we're going to hear a lot more foreign policy um, achievements. I think that we should. I, th I that did strike me as something that was very odd. But in the in the caucuses um, this week, behind the scenes, which you didn't see on television, they talked about in every caucus that I and, and I think there were uh, maybe twelve that I that I twelve right. or fourteen that I listen to right it was all about getting out the vote early okay yeah. but all about that constituency and in the ethnic caucus they were telling people that they needed to have the polish and the ukraines and the right. lithuanians and all right. these people as groups go out there and coalesce and vote early for joe biden even though what we saw on television Never said anything about foreign policy, although Very I think John Kerry's message probably came. Yeah, I think John Kerry was the moment uh, where we got a little bit of foreign policy for sure. But China was kind of glossed over Ukraine, Russia. There's a little bit of Russia, but not much. Um, uh, it just struck me because that's always been a Joe Biden strong suit. And he was really the reason why he was paired with Obama on the ticket to give um, Obama some 
foreign policy heft. Um, I just found that I think we're going to hear a lot more of that. And um, I suspect that Trump's speech will be a lot less on personality, and, uh, although obviously he's got a very forceful personality, uh, but probably a lot more on substantive uh, issues. I think he's going to try to fight this out on policy issues and accomplishments and numbers and records. Why Joe Biden, you know, has played mostly that vote for me because I'm the nice guy. Um, well, what did you th- what did you think of seeing Cindy McCain's film? Um, Colin Powell. Yeah, uh, there are a lot cases, of this. You know, I mean, to me, to me, it's more about sore losers. Well, certainly that's what Trump will make about. Listen, I think it's always effective when you're trying to appeal to the middle to bring in people who uh, used to be a Republican but support Joe Biden. I think you know, for everyday people who don't think about. Uh, politics the way we do, right? You know, we're, we're involved in it 24-7. I, oh, they won't. I like Colin Powell. I like John McCain. And oh, they're going for Joe Biden. I, that, I suppose that's a subliminal way of communicating. I suspect next week we're going to see some Democrat turncoat show up at the Republican convention. And I think African-Americans uh, who were Democrat are probably going to be among those. Hispanic who were Democrat can be mm-hmm. among them. I'd watch, you know, Vernon Jones, the, the lawmaker from, uh, is it Oklahoma, I think it is, uh, who's, you know, flipped to, to that side. There's, um, I suspect we will see some unexpected uh, things. So I think both sides will have tried to play. I can attract the other side. To me, what it reminded me of is that the Donald Trump Republican Party of 2020 is not the party of the George Bush, Colin Powell, John McCain era. It's a different Republican Party, more populist, more mm-hmm. able to attract blue-collar votes like Reagan did. I think it's more like the Reagan 80 party than it was of the W party of t- 2004 or the McCain I party of 2008. You. And the question is, will the Republicans be able to play a, prog- a, a populist party to a second victory? And it's all I, I think you said it uh, right at the beginning and you're right, as you always are. This is a get out the vote election. It's going to be who can get most people to turn out and, and how they're going to turn out. And I don't think it's going to I think it's going to be a very passionate um, election. Yeah. You know, and for, unfortunately, you know, we, yeah, we, we don't right. we don't have an election and then things die down. We have an election and then we can go to war and battle politically. <laughs> it's been <laughs> so, exhausting. I got to tell you, uh, it is it quite is, frankly, it since is. 2000, since the hanging election of 2000, it seems like the fervor in America has been nonstop over the wars, over, you know, we can go through all the different things and corruption draining the swamp. Uh, but oh, my gosh, I'm almost exhausted from all this politics. It's crazy. It is. And, it, and it's, it, you know, the one thing I, I was I was thankful watching it as opposed to being at the convention. I know that whenever I've covered the conventions, I, and I'm certain, John, you've probably done this, too. By the end of the four or five days, because you're out there four or five days before, yep. I would sleep for three days afterwards because I was just so <laughs> burnt out. <laughs> I'm going to take your advice and start that tonight, I think. Yes, that's a good idea. Yeah. Um, well, listen, Christine, we're so lucky to have you and your breadth of politics, your understanding of the processes your ability to talk to all sides of the political aisle is always greatly appreciated. And uh, I think we're going to have to have you back next Friday because we got a second convention to talk about. So we do, we do. And let's I'm get some sleep this weekend because it. it's going to be other sleepless night starting Monday night. Absolutely. I'm glad you're, you're leading our team, John. Uh, Thank I'm, you very we, much. We have a lot of fun, Christine. Thanks for your time today on John Solomon reports. All right, folks, we're going to go to commercial break and we're going to wrap things up in just a few seconds on this very special Friday edition. I know we don't normally do Fridays, but now you know why we did it. People like Christine and Daniel and Nick, such great reporters at just the news. Let's go to that commercial break and we'll wrap it up. Ah, <sighs> 
The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. All right, folks, welcome back from the final commercial break. What a great discussion. Christine Dolan covered every convention since 1980. She really knows her stuff. That's the sort of expertise you get when you come to Just the News, the sort of factual expertise that you get. Uh, Daniel Payne, you got to hear what an honest fact broker he is. He has great stories all the time. Follow him on his byline. And then Nick Ballacy, who's out in the trenches every day covering Congress and the conventions and the uh, politics. Next week, I think we're going to bring in Kerry Sheffield, our White House correspondent, fantastic television talent, may soon have her own television show. Stay tuned to that. Uh, We may talk about that next week. But uh, we're very excited that you joined us today on a special edition. We thought we'd take you into the weekend trying to make sense of the Democratic convention, give you a primer of what to expect in the Republican convention. Next week, we'll be back with our normal shows, our normal guests, and maybe some abnormal guests. We'll see. Uh, Thank you for listening. Uh, We deeply appreciate your readership at Just the News, your listenership, your viewership. Uh, You're the reason we do this journalism every day. Thank you. God bless you. Have a safe weekend. We'll be back with another edition or editions of John Solomon Reports next week. Calling all coffee drinkers. If you've been trying to enhance your daily coffee routine, then Quest has got your back with their brand new iced coffees. Now available in two delightfully delicious flavors that'll be sure to add an extra pep in your step. Vanilla latte and mocha latte. Quest has been on a mission to help fuel you with protein-forward foods you'll love. Each bottle of Quest iced coffee is packed with 200 milligrams of caffeine, the same amount as two cups of regular coffee, plus 10 grams of protein per serving to help you supercharge your day. And did I mention that they only contain one gram of sugar? It might just be time to cheat on your iced coffee with iced coffee. Find Quest iced coffees on Amazon.com slash Quest Nutrition. That's Amazon.com slash Quest Nutrition.